When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Adam Crafton back with us today. Coming up, Matt Slater will take us through the bids that have been made to buy Chelsea and which should be taken seriously. We'll talk Crystal Palace and the work being done behind the scenes that is bearing fruit on the pitch. And our Spanish writer, Dermot Corrigan, was at the Bernabeu last night, so he'll join us to share his thoughts on Real Madrid's thrashing by Barcelona. So let's start the pod by looking at the bids to buy Chelsea with the Athletics' Matt Slater. How many bids have been lodged? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm aware of about 10. I think there are probably a couple more that may have bid, that were certainly kind of talking about bidding or, you know, kicking the tyres. And then there's, there's always going to be a couple that, that have genuinely managed to to stay out of the public domain. Well done to them. So, I, you know, I, I 10 to 15 would, would be my hunch. All worthy of serious consideration? Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> right, so maybe I should have started that. How many bids are worthy of serious consideration? Uh, oh, half a dozen. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, definitely. There's and and look, there's one that came out over the weekend, which I think is worthy of, of 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 consideration. And that's and that that was a surprise. Well, I didn't know about it last week. Uh, it was in the Sunday Times. That's that's British bid. Um, that's kind of backed by a London-based private equity firm called Centricus, um, and it's got a couple of other relatively well-known City of London characters. They're all London, they're all Chelsea season ticket holders. So I, I think they will be taken seriously. I'm not, I mean, the problem with them and quite a few of the other ones who I haven't named and I've rudely dismissed is they might have a, you know, they might have financial expertise and they might have a fund behind them and they might be well, very well be able to get to a number that's attractive. But this is way more complicated than that. It's a really, really unusual auction. And it, it's it's kind of speed and certainty and, and track record, reputation, like, have you done this before? Okay, can you show me you've done this before? You know, have you have you run a sports franchise? Have you have you done a complicated deal like this before? Have you um, developed property before? It's that kind of combination of, like, nice syndicate, good number, expertise, track record, and yes, I can do it right now, and you know I can do it right now. Who's establishing that criteria? Who has the final decision? I mean, it's interesting. You mentioned the word auction there, yeah, yeah. which always implies that it would go to the highest bidder, but that might not necessarily be the case then. No. If this was happening at any other time and Roman Abramovich had just decided to put the club up for sale and had appointed a merchant bank and had told them his criteria and said, I'm going to go on my yacht for a bit, give me a call when you've got when you've worked out the, the shortlist and I'll say yay or nay, then this would be a relatively straightforward conversation. Um, now, I've mentioned the merchant, that's Rain Group. I've uh, been in the press a lot, New York-based. Um, yeah, they, they are running that bit of the process. Problem is, 
Abramovich got sanctioned, and this is a frozen asset. And to allow this deal to go through, uh, the government, the Treasury and the Foreign Office are going to have a say on this. So there's almost like two vendors. There's two, there's the sort of rain group working for Abramovich. And then you've got the government to say, yay or nay. And the two are absolutely hand in hand. I keep reading, Adam, and maybe Matt can give us more details on this. Keep reading that, you know, the government quite liked the bid that Lord Coe's involved in. I mean, I can't quite work out what the link is uh, there. Well, I mean, there's a few government friendly figures that have appeared over the last few days, whether that's, you know, someone like Lord Finkelstein, a columnist at the Times, who I think he's involved with. Which bid is it? Is it the, um, the Goldstein at Todd, Todd Burley? Team, and- team Bewley, yep. Yeah. Uh, the bully and uh, this is that how you pronounce it? This yeah, yeah. This and Jonathan Goldstein bid, and then you have Lord Coe involved in a different bid. And I think there probably is an element here of a having people who are Chelsea fans, which is what both Seb Coe and Danny Finkelstein are. Danny as well was involved in Tracy Crouch's fan-led review, so I think there is that element. But I think there is also this element of this might need the sign-off from government. So any figures that, you know, may be held up as respectable within the British establishment may become quite useful as that time gets nearer. I mean, I still don't think it would be a deciding factor. I think the ultimately deciding factor will be, have you got the money and can you show us the money? But I I think there has been a move from certain consortiums. I think that, you know, a little bit with that Centrica bid as well. Look at us, we're British investors, good for Britain, blah, blah, blah even though I think there's also an Indian investor involved. I think the Indian guy you're talking about is actually joined, he's Vivek Ranadive, who is an investor in the Sacramento Kings. I think he's joined Team Bully, which is which is, which is is growing right. into, into quite the Fenway Sports Group style syndicates. I mean, I take your point on, on having, you know, a London face. And um, again, that's a part of that sort of track record being, being, that provides certainty, provides know-how, provides contacts. You know, Sir Martin Broughton, who is obviously teamed up with Co, and is, is, is I think, back hitched their wagon to, wagon to the Harris Blitzer bid. Harris Blitzer, of course, invested in Crystal Palace and umpteen other sports franchises. Broughton is British business aristocracy, British American Tobacco, British Airways, uh, the CBI. Um, uh, we haven't mentioned Nick Candy, you know, London-based property developer. Uh, he has teamed up with some South Korean money. And Nick Candy is a you know high-profile business figure uh, and a and a big donor to the Conservative Party. So look, there there is a lot of that that kind of global money, a lot of it American money, British face. Matt, has the Ricketts bid got any kind of British face to it? No, no. I mean, not not that they've let slip at this point. And I do wonder if some of these groups might sort of change a little bit as we as we go forward it was sort of put to me quite early in the piece um you know sort of a week or so ago two weeks ago maybe that that the ricketts bid is quite attractive because they have this track record they they're the family that owns the chicago cubs and the minute it was made public i i sort of got wind of it quite early that there's another even richer guy in chicago called ken griffin who runs a massive funds there he's one of the richest guys in the states is going to back them so they have serious money and money to spend right now that everybody knows is there and can come like press of a button and so you've got the kind of sporting track record quite interesting story at the chicago cubs 
they chose to develop the area around their famous old ground and they turned it into sort of an entertainment and leisure district in Chicago. You sort of see what I'm thinking there. Um, and then serious money. So that's, I think, quite interesting. A name I haven't mentioned is Woody Johnson, who owns the New York Jets. He's another one that hasn't really um, hitched his wagon to, to a sort of British uh, person or, or kind of announced the rest of his group. What he's got is he was US ambassador. He was Donald Trump's US ambassador uh, for, in the UK. So well, that could go either way, I guess, depending on how you feel about Donald Trump. But, um, but he certainly has uh, contacts and he knows London. So, yeah, there, there's a, there's a, it really is interesting about it's an awful lot of American money, an awful lot of American sports entrepreneurial money, you know, aligned with Wall Street and all of that and the world that that opens you up to. Um, and, and then sort of, I think, kind of British people pitching for places on the board. Is there a fan group with any input into this? Do the supporters trust have a say in this? Because it, when we go back to that criteria, do you have the money? Have you run yeah. the franchise? Have you run a sporting franchise before? You know, where is your expertise when it comes to property development, et cetera, et cetera? Is there anybody going, what will you do with the club? Yes. Uh, and there's been a little bit, obviously, that in the press, you know, as they were sort of trying to publicise their bids. So, you know, Nick Candy, for example, immediately talked about putting a fan on the board and, and, and talking up his own links to the club. I've mentioned the um, the Centricus guys that came out over the weekend. All four of those named individuals are, are Brits who have you know been following the club for ages. Daniel Finkelstein is a is a is a you know man and boy Chelsea fan. There's been a lot of that co-Broughton Chelsea fans. There is a a group that John Terry is they're sort of using as a front man um, that are looking to raise about 250 million quid to buy a 10% stake to sort of kind of have that kind of fan on the board type approach. Now they're going to try and do that using fan tokens, and we, we, you know, which which sort of I think raises some flags, but not it doesn't. It's, it's not crypto; it doesn't necessarily have to be as bad as that. But it's just a way of sort of trying to do it quickly and in a democratic fashion. So we shall see with that one. I, I just think it's too. They haven't got the time. They just really haven't. This this deal has to be done quickly, which again is a big advantage for people that, one, have done it before, two, have loads of money behind them they can actually use. So anything that's a bit complicated, I just think is going to run out of time and will therefore be quite quickly discounted. And then I think the other element that is that is really important is for any of these, particularly the American guys who do want a return on investment, so will be around developing the ground, the situation in Chelsea is complicated because of the Chelsea pitch owners. They, they own the freehold to the land. And that was given to them, whatever it was, 20 odd years ago by Ken Bates when the last time Stanford Bridge was at the mercy of, of property development. So you, whoever gets this has to, has to have a relationship with the trust and the CPO group pretty quickly, if not already, because you are not going to be able to do what you might want to do at Stanford Bridge without that good relationship. So, you know, that, that they have a say. They have arguably they have a bigger say at Chelsea than they would at many other clubs because of that very unusual situation around the ground. Because of that bargaining chip, why would Chelsea fans need to donate to a fund, to, you know, to, to buy some sort of stake that, that gives them a seat at the table with the John Terry funded campaign? I completely agree with you. Why? 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 Why would you? I suppose it would be 
that the Chelsea pitch owners is an established group. I can't remember how many of them are. I think off the top of my head, it's something like 1,400. It might be 14,000. It's 14 something. Uh, they've been set up for a while. Uh, maybe it's to sort of just expand that group. It, it's it's a bit of a close shop there because it's not a sort of freely traded thing. If you if you have, I mean, all those guys are Chelsea fans. I don't think there's any suggestion at all that these people are people are, are members of the Chelsea pitch owners uh, organization for anything other than, than than good reasons. But you're right; that I would argue is a really good chip for the Chelsea fan base to have. What's the time scale, or is that impossible to tell? Well, it's once it's impossible. Uh, no one wants to nail down a number or a date. It it's soon. Okay, so there's there's sort of the two bits to that. I think Rain Group have to whittle down that that dozen or so to three or four pretty fast, and then really get into sort of more detailed conversation with them about well, is this your really your final number? Because that is kind of a little bit important here. I know it's going to a frozen account and may well end up going to charity, but but the number's still important. And then what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the club? And then I think it's that almost, as I say, parallel conversation with government. These these are looking like our guys. Do, do we have any problems here? I don't think we'll have any problems with them, really. And it's it's a, it's a sort of a bit of a dance, really. So that, that I think, is going to happen in the next week or so. It's all got to be done, I would argue, within about a month and a month and a half. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Crystal Palace breezed past Everton to reach the FA Cup semi-finals, having held league leaders Manchester City earlier in the week. Matt Wisdom covers Palace for the Athletic. And with us now, before we get on to all the good stuff, bearing in mind we've just talked Chelsea with Matt Slater, why are Crystal Palace co-owners being linked with investing in Chelsea? This, I think, is a question that many Palace fans will be asking this morning as well, really, after after a very good win, after being in the FA Cup semi-final with, with everything going so well at the moment. But, you know, I think as as myself and, and Dom Fifield wrote for, in our piece that, that's gone up this morning, there, there does have to be a degree of realism. You know, obviously Chelsea, the, the world champions, a much bigger club than Palace, of course. From a purely business point of view, you know, it's obvious why why they would want to invest in Chelsea. I wonder, you know, whether a small part of them might just be wondering, you know, we've got something good here. Maybe it's a good time to to keep it, but then perhaps the the business side of them kicks in. Given all the good things that are going on, what's the best thing? Just how exciting this season is, how enjoyable the football is to what I, I couldn't even pinpoint one thing, I suppose, just just the excitement of, of this season and how entertaining the football has been for the most part. The obvious thing immediately is to praise Patrick Vieira for that. But this isn't just a this squad isn't just down to, to Patrick Vieira, and therefore those above him deserve some of this credit. One hundred percent. I wrote a piece about the call-ups to uh, to the England squad for Conor Gallagher and, and Mark Gaye, the fact that Tyreek Mitchell was on standby and you know, it looks as though he may well be called up to the squad as well for the first time. And you know, within that, you, know, you have to look at 
the transformation that this squad has undergone in the summer. It began the summer before as well, under you know, implemented by the sporting director Dougie Friedman and backed by the chairman Steve Parrish. You know, they went out and they decided to to go for something different, something bold with younger talent. You know, it, it was a bit of a risk, but they had nine senior players out of contract. They were never going to have a better opportunity to reset and signing all these young players who they could potentially sell on for big profit in the future on lower wages than than the senior players that were at the squad before. It was a no-brainer, really. It's quite funny because Palace are where they normally are, really, aren't they? 12th. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but but no, but it just shows not to completely um, you know play down the achievement. But 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 the, the, probably the results and maybe the points tally is a little bit different to what it's been the last couple of years. But generally, you know, just below mid table is where we've seen Palace. How do you think the fans would respond this summer if the club cashed in on a Eze or a Zaha? Is there this feeling that there's now enough trust? in those who are recruiting that you can confidently sell and still build? Palisans are very confident in in the ownership, in the the leadership of of this club now. And you know, I think that that is because of the way that they changed it over the summer, because of what's changed. And I, I think if there was to be the sale of some of these guys in the summer, I think there would be a lot of disappointment because we haven't had the opportunity to to enjoy them for very long. And I think that is probably why there probably won't be the sale of any of those guys this summer. Even next summer, you'd be like, well, I've really enjoyed watching Michael Elisa. I've really enjoyed watching Mark Gay, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But there's, there'll, there'll still be that little bit of disappointment that they didn't get to sort of see more of them. Um, I suppose it's a bit like Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Like you've you got, I think, what a season and a half, two seasons out of him and yeah, obviously, I know he's sort of struggling at Man United. But... I was going to say, you could take him back if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the ownership, Matt, could could allow Eze or Elise or Mitchell or Gay to go this summer, partly because they will lose Gallagher this summer, won't they? Unless they manage to do yeah. some sensational deal, you would imagine that whether that be, whether that be Chelsea taking him and keeping him or whether that be Chelsea flogging him for a lot of money, it's going to be hard for Palace to keep hold of him. So so they're already losing one through no fault of their own. The only way Gallagher will come back to Palace next season is perhaps on a loan where there's a break clause in the winter because obviously it's the World Cup. So he may look at that and be like, you know what, I can't get in this Chelsea. Yeah. I'm not saying he won't be able to get, but if he says like, I can't get in this Chelsea team, then he may look at that and be like, do you know what, I want to go back out on loan again so that I can you know, potentially guarantee my World Cup yeah. spot. And why not come back to Palace? Like he's, he's got the experience of being there. So I think it is, you know, I do think that's probably unlikely, if I'm honest, but you know, that's the only way I see him coming back. But as you say, like they're losing one player already. They're not going to sanction, and they don't need to at this point. They're not, they're not in a position where... They're struggling financially where they need to sell players. They're not in that position at this moment in time. They've recently had the investment from you know, John Texter and there's enough money there that they don't need to sell. That puts them in a really strong position. With Gay obviously getting into the England squad, what we've seen with Gallagher as well, Mitchell, I think it's quite interesting because over the last few years, when you've looked, for example, at players maybe at Burnley or Palace, it's been quite, with the style of football, it's been quite difficult for them to get international recognition they now have a story to tell 
to prospective new players, to those young players to say, you know, not only will we make you better with Patrick Vieira and all these other young players, but we also know that the, the England manager is watching us regularly and is prepared to pick the players. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, this is what I wrote about in my, my piece about the call-ups and, and the fact that Mitchell's on standby and probably will end up eventually getting the call is that, you know, Palace have invested in these young players and Chelsea fans sort of were in the comments in, in my replies on Twitter and I think they misunderstood the point of the piece. The point was not to diminish the importance that Chelsea played in this, but to big up Palace's role in it. You know, Palace have given these guys a platform They've invested in these young players. They've afforded them a platform. And now they're reaping the rewards from it. They, they're getting England call-ups. They're getting international recognition. And, you know, that is so big for Palace. And not just that, you know, assuming Tyreek Mitchell does you know, does get in the squad. And even if he doesn't, you know, the fact that he's only on standby, you can look to the academy as well. And you can say, look, we've given this lad a pathway. He's played games. We've got a £20 million state-of-the-art facility that, pretty much no other club can match and you know genuinely so then you know why would you not want to come here for all the admirable planning for all the admirable work in the transfer market for all the the great academy work that they're doing you still need a little bit of luck don't you so did they fluke Patrick Vieira you know, there was an element of I suppose almost fortune in that they got Vieira but again you you know Fierro was one of the first names that came up in discussions over the manager. They held you know, initial talks with him. Yes, it broke down with Lucian Favre and yes, it broke down with Nuno Espirito Santo and Palisans will look at those as sliding doors moments. But Fierro was always in the discussion. So it wasn't a complete, you know, it wasn't like he came out of nowhere. And he's now going around, is he persuading all of Palace's youngsters to represent France? Is that the other thing? <laughs> <laughs> Well, he actually said that he didn't discuss this with Michael Elise, um, who I'm sure is the player that you're referencing there. A first call up to France on 21 to go again goes back to the point that we were just talking about how you know they can afford a platform and and that's going to get them further international recognition. But Olise has been absolutely fantastic. And do you know what I think Fiera deserves credit there as well? Because Jordan Ayu was doing well this season. And you know, admittedly, in front of goal, he had you know, not scored. I think he scored one goal in 49 games. And you look at it, you're like, why, is, why are you not playing Michael Elise? But, you know, Elise, as Vieira acknowledged, had an injury to start with, needed to find his way in the Premier League. And now, John Ayew went off to African, Africa Cup of Nations and Olise took his chance and hasn't looked back since. And Vieira's kept him in the team. He's nurtured him. He's done everything that, you know, he needed to do. And, and Olise is just a joy to watch. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Send by talking La Liga, where Barcelona hammered Real Madrid 4-0 in the Bernabeu last night. The athletic Spanish football writer Dermot Corrigan was there and joins us now. Just before we get on to much more important things, why were both teams in their away kits? The usual commercial reasons. Um, it was Madrid's 120th birthday, so they had a deal with Adidas and a Japanese designer who had made a special black kit for to mark the occasion. And Barca, um, again, to try and sell more of their Catalan coloured jerseys and we're wearing them as well <laughs> okay right uh, and then the other the other strange thing which is interesting because we were talking about this in the office when watching last night and then had to go googling for it and i did think this when watching the paris Saint-Germain game as well what's going on with the lower tier the bernabeu has been um redone up big 600 million euro redevelopment plan for the bernabeu they're putting a big roof on it and um, from outside it looks pretty spectacular i'm not sure how much you can see on on the tv and um, so during the week when there's no games and now during international week pitches is dug up and, and work is going on. They're putting, um, it's like hollowed out a load of space underneath the stadium so they can roll away the pitch so they can use it for concerts or events or, or whatever. And those where the tarpaulins are, that's the part of the stadium that there's no seats in due to the, the work that's going on. So once once they've worked on their retractable pitch, they'll go back to normal. Will it? Yeah, yeah. Like the capacity of the stadium isn't being increased at all. Um, it's still going to be around 80,000, but there's going to be lots more um, VIP areas, lots more revenue uh, generating um, bars and restaurants and all that kind of stuff. And also like for events year round. Um, and it will look like it looks kind of cool at the minute because they've stripped away the the kind of 1980s look that was on the Bernabeu has been stripped away. So the 1950s look is on the outside of it. It's big concrete. It looks really cool. Um, but they're going to cover that with a big TV screen so they can flash up like videos and ads and stuff on it as well and, and uh, retract the roof. It'll, it'll be like Bernabeu is a great place to watch games and it'll be it'll be nice and comfy when it's done for sure. Nothing wrong with the 1980s look, Dermot. Some of us are still carrying <laughs> that off. Uh, right. Uh, as far as the football is, uh, you weren't even born in the 80s, were you, no. Adam? Just to, you know. I thought you were going to say no. 50s, but no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks. Right. On to the actual football. Watch it last night. Uh I couldn't I couldn't work out whether Barcelona were very good or Real Madrid were just a shambles. I sense it might be a little bit more of the latter. Barcelona were really up for it and really wanted to win, really needed to win. You know, it's been three years since they'd won a Classico. Um, Laporta's come in, Javi's come in, Messi's gone. Um, the, you know, they're they're out of contention in La Liga, but for the future and to, to kind of back up this talk of like we're back or Barcelona are a, a force again, they needed to win. Madrid was less important to them. They've kind of already won La Liga, and um, more or less, they were are looking forward to the Chelsea game that's coming up after the international break. Benzema wasn't risked because he had a calf injury, and then when things started to go wrong, they went really wrong. Like maybe Madrid had scored in the first few minutes, they had a few chances, and um, Ter made a few saves. It might have been different, but just the momentum. Barca kind of blew them away and, and the momentum was going all in their favour. And then when Ancelotti tried to change things at halftime, Madrid scored two quick goals, or sorry, Madrid conceded two, two more shambolic goals. And that was that. What does it mean for Ancelotti? 
if anything. I mean, it just changes the tone, the tone of yeah. coverage towards him, I imagine. Completely, because like a few weeks ago, just because the way Madrid is, there was a lot of grumbles around the team weren't playing well enough. Then when they lost that PSG away, you know, even winning La Liga, you know, with the way the Florentino Perez works, um, Ancelotti's job wouldn't have been completely secure. And this, these type of Clasico defeats at home don't sit well with the, the Bernabeu hierarchy or, or with Florentino Perez. So Ancelotti has done, objectively, I, I think it's fair to say he's done a pretty decent job with the squad that he has to, to win La Liga and to be into the Champions League quarterfinals, the one the European or the one the Spanish Supercopa as well. But the mood music or, or the feelings around the club, which is so important, especially because basically Florentino makes the decisions. Um, losing 4-0 at home to Barca is, is not good. The other thing I thought whilst I was watching last night, and uh, this maybe highlights how little of Barcelona I've watched, or maybe it highlights something else, I don't know. But that was the first time I've seen Dembele have a good game. Yeah, he's revitalised. There was all this contract stuff in, in January, so... Xavi has really backed him. Xavi said, when Xavi came in, he said like he thinks he's a great player, he wants to get him fit properly and want, wants to use him. He needs that... Xavi wanted that type of a player in his... In his team and felt he could get the best out of him. Dembele's never been really fully fit. There was problems with the club medical staff. Then there was problems over his contract. But Xavi has managed to to focus him to get him just concentrate on playing really well, giving him confidence as well. Which he's a, he's an unusual enough character. Dembele. He's a different guy. He's it's hard to get kind of connected into what's what's going on around Barca. And nobody had managed to do it before. But Xavi has done it, and yeah, getting the rewards now. Does last night's result, do you think, have any effect on? transfer plans this summer and you know will certain players do you think look at that and think oh you know I know Real Madrid have got La Liga but do you think there'll be players now go oh hang on a minute maybe Barcelona are back maybe there is maybe there is something for me here definitely when if well say you're Haaland for instance and you're looking at it and and you say well Barca seem to be on the up Madrid you know maybe they're signing Mbappe as well will I go there what will happen they're kind of intangible things that it's hard to hard to put a finger on. But if you were watching the game and you were thinking which team are going in the right direction, you'd say Barca. The, the other thing on it is that it strengthens Xavi's hand as well because there's so many people at, at Barca who have a, a say or want to have a say in transfer dealings. Um, there's different executives, different kind of factions in, in the club. And Xavi is a, a coach who has a lot more say than Koeman would have had or, or Valverde in the past. And if he says, look, I need the players to do this or we're heading in the right direction. I think he and Jordi Cruyff as well, who he's quite close to, their hand has been strengthened over the, just the way the team has improved since January. Adam Haaland was the one I was thinking of in that kind of, you know, I mean, every club seems to be claiming they might win the race for him uh, at the moment, but it is the kind of performance that would make make people sit up and notice a bit. Yeah, and I think, I think Haaland was reported to have met up with Barcelona officials a couple of weeks ago as well. So they have been part of that discussion. I think sometimes those meetings are as much so that clubs can say we tried and give that impression, you know, we did everything we could to get a player. I'd be staggered if Barcelona find the money to do Haaland this summer, given, you know, what they've already spent on, you know, players like Ferran Torres in January. I think Barcelona are at a point where they will just slowly keep building in reality. I don't think what we're going to see from Barcelona is back into the 80 million 100 million pound market straight away this summer I think they well who knows I mean it's Barcelona it's Real Madrid money money turns up but what I expect is them to be sort of building almost like a deluxe version of Arteta's Arsenal 
to a certain to, to a certain extent. Just mm. keep going, keep building. You've got an you've got a manager there that you trust. You've got an identity. You've got some decent young players. Go and build on it. I don't expect them to be massively in the Haaland Mbappe discussion, but there's a lot to pick from below that. And money will be appearing thanks to Spotify, Dermot. Yeah, Spotify deal is an interesting one in that it's. Like it's it's a good deal for Barca. They needed to to get a new shirt sponsor, and it's more difficult now with with Messi gone. You know, it's not that until they sign Haaland, they don't have the the big superstar who who can sell it. Maybe Pedri and Gabi and these guys are really popular with the fans, but not they don't break out into the the market for for big sponsors. It has been quite controversial around the club. There were some people who thought they could get more. The figures that I've heard is like sixty two and a half million euros a year and um, that's 57.5 million for the men's and women's jersey and the training kit and 5 million to add their name to to make it the spotify camp now there were some who thought that they could if they split those deals up they could get more money if you sold once you had one sponsor for the men's kit one for the women's one for the training kit and another for the to add to the camp now and the ceo varan reverter surprisingly resigned just as the deal was being finalized he's the kind of guy who came from the business world he from um a German a electronics retailer, and he was kind of putting, supposed to be kind of modernizing and formalizing Barca's business practices. Laporte is more of an old style kind of uh, personal relations to, to get deals done type of a guy. Laporte won that uh, internal kind of battle about how to, to run things, and Spotify deal was done. Did you say five million for the name in rights? Yeah, like it's it's doesn't seem that much. Five million a year over three years. Um, to call it the Spotify camp now, like how naming rights is a weird one because like if it's the Emirates Stadium, then it's the Emirates Stadium yeah. and, and everybody calls it the Emirates or the Etihad or whatever. If it's the Spotify camp now, you know, who, who how many yeah. people are going to call it the Spotify camp now? So I guess that's why it's it's the lower amount than than Emirates pay or, or Etihad. Well, I can't really imagine people just sort of get waking up in the morning saying, you know, we're off to well Spotify. Um, this morning, <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. But also, media, media won't. Media won't. It's very, it's it's very hard when an old ground takes a sponsor's name to. You just don't. You just keep. You just call it that. You're right. If it's different, if it's the King Power or the Etihad or or the Emirates, because that's what they've always been. They've never been known by anything else. Those yeah, in yeah. my maybe Leicester fans will tell me it was called something else before the king power i can't remember but for sure you know. like atletico have the one that it's like i kind of refer to it as the ones the one the metropolitano um if they had stayed at the calderon i don't think i'd be calling it the one that calderon no but no we're moving at the no. time and it kind of worked it wasn't sports direct st james's park was it <laughs> the other interesting thing in this deal is and i'm sure we will never know is how many customers spotify lose from the madrid region because it it will. It's not often you get an actual product now associated with a club, do you? I mean, you don't. You know, it tends to be, well, it tends to be bookmakers, doesn't it, in the main, or airlines, which you can't massively choose. And this this feels like the fir- the first thing that I would I would imagine in Madrid they'll go right. Well, we'll we'll go to Amazon or Apple or whatever. Well, that was all the talk when Arsenal were trying to. Well, when Spotify were looking at buying Arsenal, the yeah. You know, rival fan bases were already saying, "Well, you know, if you're a Tottenham fan, I'll be off to um, Apple Music or or, or whichever yeah. other platform you might want to use." It is an interesting one. I I kind of think people are almost so plugged into their music as a way of life once they are in the product that it's quite a big thing to step away from it on a matter of principle 
but maybe football fans are sufficiently well yeah they absolutely are you you can't tell me and go back to the bring this conversation full circle go go back to the 80s <laughs> sharp sharp electronics didn't sell a great deal in on merseyside i don't think in the same way that crown paints and carlsberg probably suffered a dip in in Manchester. Yeah, but I, I just think, is it not a huge amount of faff to like lose all your music, then start finding it all again? Uh, no? Would you do it? Depends if you put principles above faff. <laughs> Which I absolutely don't. <laughs> <laughs> Dermot, thank you very much for coming on. Cheers, guys. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> You can read plenty more on that story across The Athletic. You can subscribe to it for just £1 a month for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com slash football pod. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.